Hello and welcome to the first episode of Down the Middle, a political first, podcast. The first, the first episode. Uh, I can't even get to the title. <laughs> Wait, all right, do it again, do it again. Start again. Uh, we're good. Hello and welcome to Down the Middle Political Podcast, episode one. Uh, we are your hosts. My name is Justin Siegel. My name is Rob Leifer. And here we are. Here we are. Being birthed into the world. Yes, the very first episode. And I will say, I want to start off the episode by saying that our first podcast episode that we've been talking about for years now, and I'm fresh out of beer. Like, no beer in the fridge. But I did have some sake in the fridge. You know what? First, we should get nicknames out of the way. We should, we should talk about that. Okay, so I'll take it. I'll take this one. Um, Justin and I have a lot of nicknames for each other, and all of our friends have nicknames. It's part of the whole like musician culture, I guess. I don't know, and we'll get into that. But um, my wife is often referred to as Bubs. All my friends call her Bubs. Justin, you will hear me call Jay. That's the only name for him. That's all we, that's all we use. And uh, he calls me Riz. All the guys call me Riz. I don't even know really how it started, but that's just my musician name, Riz. I don't think so, I've, I ever called you Rob, ever. Right. No, I don't think so. Right. And, and it would be weird if you did. It would, especially yeah. for the purpose of this podcast. So right, we're going to exactly. keep, keep it. Yeah. yeah. So podcast number one, down the middle. We don't have a name for this episode. Yeah. But I suspect by the end, we will. That's my, that's my hunch. I'm sticking with that. So let's get into a little bit of the history of our relationship, how we know each other. Let, let, let the listeners know. Let them in, Jay. Let them we got to let them in. Yeah. So uh, Riz and I go back a long way. I mean, how many years is it now? 21 years, because we met in 1999. That's terrifying. So we met at the Berkeley College of Music in a very non-political environment. Riz is a, an insane guitar player. And I played drums and we met in the dorms and ended up playing in a band together uh, for a very, very long time. Then we both continued in the band through college. And when it came time to move away from college, we all decided to move out to LA. I moved out first and uh, Riz followed, what was it, a year later? Somewhat, somewhere in there. Also, I should interject and say that we this is a uh, this podcast will be a mainly political podcast, but I don't think we had a political conversation for the first fifteen years of our relationship. I was just about yeah. to mention that there's there's there was no political conversations. It was it was music. It was silliness. Yep. It was drinking. Drinking. It was college things. You yeah. Know? It was college um, things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, although although we did go through 9-11 together. In fact, like literally together. And I do remember that being obviously the darkest and, mo and the heaviest moment in our, probably in our relationship until this moment right now. How, how have we not even mentioned COVID-19 yet? I mean, I know, it's true. We should keep a count. Yeah. Yeah. We should keep a count going. There's one, ding. Right, but I do, I do remember us getting into politics very, very mildly after 9-11 because the Bush hatred started. Yes, completely. Yeah. And that's when, by the way, like any political conversations you've ever had with my father who's engaged in politics, we'll get into that in a minute, you had during that moment, that was probably the first time you guys started having those conversations. And maybe the first time you started talking about politics. I think so, yeah. 
It was probably the first time you, because we were all sort of forced into awareness at that point. Like it's when we, it was when we all sort of collectively went from being kids to adults. Do you remember the sign they had up at school? Uh, remind me. I had the, the, the apartment closest to school, um, which is why you ended up over there um, once school closed that morning. But school, the Berkeley College of Music, they put up a sign that said, school closed due to terrorist attack. Now, they didn't say where the terrorist attack was. So the way the sign read, everyone thought the terrorist attack was happening at Berkeley. (laughs) I do remember that. See, you know, and we don't have to get into a long thing here about our 9-11 experience, which everyone's talked about. But, But I do remember leaving the classroom and the towers had already fell. I had no idea. I woke up and it was yeah. just before the second tower fell. Right, right. Yeah, we woke up late back then. We were we were wannabe rock stars. Yeah. I remember coming out of the class and there was a lady there who was on her cell phone and she said, a plane flew into the Pentagon. And I thought to myself, the Pentagon? That's crazy. Like, was someone trying to kill government people? You know, that's that's nuts. And it wasn't until I got to your apartment that I realized the full scope of what was going on. That of was course, crazy. and you, you obviously being from New York, mm-hmm. um, you know, it had a lot of a lot of weight to it. My mother was working in Manhattan that day. Yeah, I mean that's that's our that's our JFK, and and as as this will be as well. This, I think, even more so to have a generation that lived through both of these things. I think is is pretty unprecedented. It, it is. It, we are a rough generation. For all the talk about snowflakes and millennials and, well, I guess millennials didn't really experience 9-11 like they were little kids. And speaking of which, I should put a disclaimer in this podcast that my two kids are in bed right next door to this room. So if you hear any loud noises, I don't think they're sleeping yet, but they know not to come in. But uh, that will explain it for all the listeners out there. That is. Uh, Where are you? In your bedroom? I'm in my bedroom. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Are you in your, I'm in my your, closet. Your man cave? My man cave. Yeah. <laughs> to, to explain to the listeners out there, my man cave is just a closet with a desk. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. What else does it need to be? Exactly. Yeah. I guess that's what's changed in a generation. Men, like our fathers didn't have man. The man cave was called the house. <laughs> <laughs> the entire house. Now now our wives give us little tiny rooms that it's like, uh, go have fun with that. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy your little area. <laughs> that's the truth. That's how That's how things have changed. So, you know, you, you get a little bit of the history. Uh, Riz and I have been friends for a really long time and moved out to L.A. And we've been out in L.A. F- I mean, uh, how long has that been? 15 years. It's insane. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really insane. We've had a, we have a bond and a friendship that goes back a long time. So we thought, you know, we've been talking about doing a podcast for a while because we both have gotten more into politics. And of course, like the big question, why now? Well, you know, this is probably the most pivotal moment in American history since the Civil War. Absolutely. And we're all sitting at home. We're all sitting at home. And uh, there is a lot of stuff going on. And there's a lot of polarization, obviously. And Justin tends to be more on the right than I am. And I tend to be, you know, probably center left. And we thought, that's why we called this podcast down the middle because we thought there's so much partisanship and most podcasts are either right wing or leftist. And we wanted to focus on a podcast that was somewhere in the middle, which is really, I think, where we are and what we need right now. Yeah. I mean, we have a, a lot of conversations, whether they, they're over Facebook or you know on the phone or over text or in person. We always end up talking politics because 
and there'll be plenty of discourse on this podcast, I have no doubt, but we end up, both of us, on just on either side of the aisle, we end up being able to have a nice discourse and without like, you know, calling each other names and sort of agreeing on some things, disagreeing on others. But, you know, we always sort of end up in in the moderate land, which is, I think, uh, a place that is not well represented these days on either side. It's not. And, I, I, you know, we both think that we need that right now. We need some common sense. And most importantly, we need discourse that doesn't come to blows or mostly thinking that the other side has bad intent, which I think has really been the thing that's changed in our lifetimes in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, especially that there is this sort of sense from both the right and the left that the other side doesn't have pure intentions or has evil intentions. And that's just not true for the most part outside of very, very small segments of each population. And we want to sort of break that down a little bit. Talk about it. Our political viewpoints, as I mentioned, are um, they're pretty different. For me, I grew up um, in a very conservative Republican household. My father was not always involved in politics, but being in real estate, he was always involved in, he had to be involved in local politics, whether it was to get certain permits. And he was always sort of involved on that level. He ended up buying the old... IBM headquarters in Boca Raton, which was the birthplace of the PC, which put him on the radar of then Governor Jeb Bush. My dad became close with Jeb Bush, who then introduced him to his brother who was running for president, George W. Bush. My father helped fundraise and helped with Jewish outreach in Florida. And he first was appointed on the board of the Overseas Private Investment Corporation. Then he was appointed to the UN under John Bolton. And then he was appointed uh, ambassador to the Bahamas. So I grew up in a very politically aware household. We were always had conversations around the table. They always like like our family tended to um, lean conservative. Now, can I clarify something? Yeah, sure. When you say you grew up in a conservative family, my impression, and correct me if I'm wrong here, my impression is that the conservatism was mostly revolving around fiscal conservatism and role of government and not social conservatism. A hundred percent. I grew up in a household that didn't really feel government should be um, investing in social issues. And so there wasn't conversation around that. And my family is socially liberal. I wouldn't say liberal, they're, but they're socially uh, less conservative than they are fiscally. And right. But in terms of the role of government, they don't feel that there should be any say there. More libertarian. Right. It's definitely more libertarian for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And whereas I, you know, we'll get into this, but the Republican Party being hijacked by the current political agenda, it involves a lot more social issues than than it did back then. Yeah, of course. To be a Republican, you didn't have to be, you know, so socially conservative. It just wasn't inherent in the party. So that's sort of how I grew up, um, very cognizant and tried to be aware of politics. And that was my interest. And that's what I'm doing here. When you came to politics, it was a really welcome thing for me because I had someone to debate with and have you know nice recourse with, and we were so close that you know the our difference in politics could never come between our friendship, but we could still have those great conversations. Right, exactly. Even if there's a fleeting moment of one of us thinking each other one is an idiot or something, yeah, that it, that goes away the next day. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, mine's a little bit lengthier just because I did not, unlike Jay, I did not grow up in a political family at all. I, in fact, I can't remember one conversation 
I ever had with my parents about politics. It just wasn't something we discussed. But it was also a lot less of a political, politically oriented time. Like in the 80s and 90s when I was living at home, it just wasn't, you know, there wasn't really much going on. Uh, I think actually my dad, who in the 80s had his own business and in the 90s as well, I th- I'm pretty sure, and he could he could tell me if I'm wrong here, but I, I vaguely remember him identifying as a Republican when he was sort of in the throes of 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 running his business. But then I remember him being a registered Democrat and voting for Bill Clinton, and that was the first time that I I remember him, you know, actively saying I'm a Democrat. That was earlier than I thought. Yeah, but but I don't. Uh, you know, I remember both my parents. I have like these vague memories of both my parents being very excited about Bill Clinton, especially my mother, because uh, I remember her saying, you know, especially after Reagan, and he was so old and sort of and you know, a classic co- kind of conservative. Uh, Bill Clinton, if you remember, was playing the saxophone, and everyone and he was young, and everyone thought he was so cool. I remember my mother actually saying like this is a really this is an incredible turning point in history because we have like this young really hip president it's like another era of kennedy i think that's how how a lot of our parents the baby boomer generation thought about bill clinton they all felt such a loss from kennedy that they were really looking for the next young forward thinking person exactly progressive but not too progressive um and and you know so i remember that but still no real political views of my own. And then I remember, I, even when I turned 18 and I registered to vote, I, I very vividly remember going to my mother and saying, what should I register as? And her saying, you should be a Democrat. And I said, why? And I remember her saying, well, because Democrats are on the forefront of civil rights, which, and, and, that, and that sort of hit me because uh, my family was Jewish, and I think for a lot, you know, American Jews, 85% of American Jews are registered Democrats. And there's a reason for that outside of, of political policy. And I think a lot of that reason centers around the civil rights era. So I remember my mother specifically saying, like, you should be a Democrat because Democrats are the ones that that focus on civil rights. And that was an important issue. So I registered as a Democrat and I thought I was a Democrat for that, from that point forward. It wasn't until, and then, so then 9-11 happens. And then that further cemented my opinion that I'm a Democrat because there was so much hatred of Bush. And I don't even think I really was mature enough at that point to wrap my head around why we hated Bush. I think it was just, again, we were in a very liberal environment at music school. Yeah, I don't think you broke that down until way later. Way later. But we we were surrounded by probably people, mostly people with liberal values um, and you know, you were just, but I remember my parents didn't like Bush. It was just a thing. We just didn't like Bush. I didn't really know why, but I think it was, we were associating him with not just 9-11, but also as I, I think back to it now, the a lot changed in the economy during the Bush era. And for me, the thing that stands out the most was sort of the vast corporatization of America really happened under Bush. Like for instance, we were in we were very up on what was going on in the music industry. And there was like a ton of record labels when we 
when we got into Berkeley. And by the time we left, there was like two or three, you know? We, we went to music school thinking like, we're going to get into the music industry. This is going to be great. It's so lucrative coming out of the 90s and CDs. And then as we were in school, you were uh, probably a sophomore. I was a freshman or like just the year after. Napster happened and it all fell apart. It did. But I think it's also, it was just a time in history where there was just a mass corporatization of a lot of things. I remember walking around Boston. And even from the time we got to Boston to the time we left, there were a lot more chain restaurants and things that, you know, the sort of demise of the little guy. I always sort of associated that with my college years, which was all during the Bush era. So you, so you had 9-11 and then, you, and then I had that. Well, there was also a lot of deregulation. One of W's, yeah. you know, big agendas was to deregulate. The, the irony is that he did it to try and help small business. Of course. But, you know, and, and you know, there's been a lot of blowback, for, uh, you know, from the right on W's agenda. And the populist movement, a lot of people would say, is a direct sort of response to that corporization that happened under W. But when I think back, I really sort of, I can isolate that moment in history and say, that was really when I noticed that a lot of the small retailers were starting to go by the wayside and everything was becoming a lot more corporate. And, you know, even to this day, I, I was just in Boston a few months ago, we took a vacation there. I mean, it's changed a lot. Like you don't see the mom and pop shops anymore. It's just everything's high ends, everything's Gucci and Prada. Like you walk down Newberry Street now. I mean, it's just a different world. When I, I, if I could pinpoint the moment I really got into politics, it was when Barack Obama came on the scene. And we will, I'm sure, we'll have vast uh, differences of opinion in terms of Obama and his presidency, which we'll get into eventually. But um, for me, he was the first politician that spoke to me, that moved me, that really moved me. I mean, when I saw him speak at the convention a couple years before he he became president, I remember thinking like, this guy is brilliant. Like there was just something about him that was extraordinarily charismatic to me. You're not going to hear me disagree with that. He is an incredible man, an incredible Orator. speaker. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. He 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 is wonderful to listen to. Right. He, he just has something about, you know, it's funny because I remember watching when I was a kid, the, the videos of the Kennedy assassination, and you see all those people standing on the street crying. And I remember thinking to myself, like, they didn't know him. Why are they so upset? When Obama became president, that he was the first politician I ever could say that I I loved. Like I literally had love for him as a man, as a human being. When he would talk, he just moved me. And that sort of co right after Obama was elected, I went back to school for court. My music career ended sadly, and I went back to school for court reporting, which is what your which is what your mother does. Exactly, it's true. Yeah, and yeah, that's a whole history there. But uh, while I was at school, uh, I think for the first time in my life, I had to actually really use my brain because I sort of coasted through high school. And you, mean you I, didn't use your brain at music school. In music school, we didn't use our brain other than you know for. Uh, you know, just acting like rock stars or idiots most of the time. And, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. Those are interchangeable. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I, I got to school uh, and I was already now in my 30s and a switch was just turned on and I just really became fascinated with politics, with economics, with uh, political discourse. Uh, Obama was an extremely controversial president um, in terms of the blowback he got from the other side, I listened to all of that. I, I 
listened to all his speeches. I listened to the other side. I did a ton of reading. I started reading a lot about political philosophies and different economic philosophies and just got really immersed in it and just listened to podcasts and everything. Uh, and it was at that point that I started to realize that I'm actually not a Democrat as much as I thought I was. You know what I mean? Um, it was sort of like realizing at that point that there were things, especially about the modern Democratic Party, today's Democratic Party, that just didn't sit well with me. And I don't necessarily attribute that to Obama as much as I do to since Trump has been in office, because there has been a sort of wing of the Democratic Party that just doesn't jive with how I generally perceive, uh, how my belief the, uh, falls in line. Yeah, I look, there was there was a widening of the aisle and I think it was in response to the Tea Party. And and that was that was from the McCain election. I mean, that's when that really started with Sarah Palin. Um, but that's when the right went far right and the left went far left. And if you weren't either of those things, you would in some circles not be considered a Democrat or Republican. And I think that's what you're referring to. Well, yeah, it's that and it's also and I I realized this in this particular election cycle. Um where we have basically you had like 30 democratic candidates and <laughs> most of the there, I sort of realized that there were two competing out uh, views of America on the democratic side right now there is view number 1 which i believe is sort of the place where joe biden is coming from which is the idea that america is fundamentally a a great place founded on the most righteous, beautiful ideas ever conceived by, by, by man ever. And that we've messed it up a lot of times. We've, had, we've done some horrible things and we've corrected them. And we have done our best to try to fulfill what was written in the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and you know what, what, the Bill of Rights and all of that. And we've tried to be the best America we can be, even when we mess up, we, we correct course. Then there is the second view of America, which is sort of the Bernie Sanders-esque wing of the party, which is that America is a no good, terrible, very bad place, and that it was founded on terrible ideas by white people who were taking advantage of everyone else. It was founded on false pretenses and it is an inherently evil place with an inherently evil system and capitalism is inherently evil and exploits the worker. And therefore we need to destroy the entire system and start from scratch. And I started really realizing that I believe in the basic philosophy of capitalism. I believe in the good of this country and the good of America. I do believe the American values, Western values, which started here, have taken more people out of abject poverty all over the world than any other system ever in human history. And that is an incredible thing. There's nothing like the American dream. Just the concept of that, you know, take the word American out of it. It's never existed anywhere else. You didn't have that ability. Right. It, very true. And and it, it was an experiment that was then modeled all over the world. And the countries that modeled the, the you know, that were successful in modeling this experiment uh, have prospered 
and become wealthier and had thriving middle classes. And, you know, it was really then that I started realizing I don't identify with a lot of the Democratic Party that believes in sort of the more socialist elements. And, you know, that's just not something that I'm down with. And yeah. And and if I could just go one more minute here. The other thing that I realized was that a lot of my friends who, especially artist people, because we're artist people, that's in our blood, that's our DNA, you know? And it's funny because I was talking about this with a friend on Facebook today. Um, A lot of us identified as Democrats and I started realizing that we're more libertarian. I've, I had this conversation with so many people. When you start asking them what they believe, you really come to find out that they're fiscally conservative and socially liberal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't even know if fiscal is the right word because musicians are broke, um, <laughs> typically. I would say conservative in terms of the role of government because the, the cliche for, I mean, let's take musicians, the cliche struggle for a musician is between the musician and the record label. The musician wants more freedom, freedom, right? The record label wants to control everything. The metaphor is that the government is the record label. And all, you know, there there are sort of trigger words. Like we have friends that you and I have mutual friends. I don't have to mention their names. That if you mention words like capitalism, that's a trigger word. All capitalism really means is that you own what you make. And if you if you sit down with any artist and say, don't you think that you should be able to own the fruits of your labor? They will most likely say, absolutely. Sure. Right. I don't know any artist that wouldn't. Exactly. So, but at the same time, musicians, artists, people, actors, Hollywood, we all tend to be very socially liberal. And to this day, I am extraordinarily socially liberal. I'm probably as left as you could get when it gets to all the social issues. Because traditional liberalism is has to me always been about live and let live. As long as you, I don't get morally outraged by anything. So as long as you are living your life that doesn't affect me, there's no externalities that actually affect me or my family then my whole philosophy is do what you want. If you want to if you're a woman who thinks you're a man and you want to use whatever bathroom of your choice as long as you're not doing performing any criminal acts on me, I don't give a crap. <laughs> you know? And and that's sort of where I lie. So that is a very libertarian that is the sort of classic libertarian philosophy is it socially liberal but conservative on the role of government, which is the less government the better. And that actually does exist. There are liberals that exist that way, that that believe in limited government and free markets and capitalism, but also are socially liberal and not really. Yeah, they're called libertarians. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's probably the closest thing to what I am. Yeah, but the problem is, is that the Libertarian Party will never have a, a real shot at the presidency or any role in government, at least not for the foreseeable future. And so you have to identify on one side of the aisle. And I have a very, very similar problem to you where I identify as um, fiscally conservative. And I would say I'm socially conservative, and that is newer for me. You know, I am religious. I grew up in a, as a secular Jew and have accepted Jesus, and now I'm considered a Messianic Jew, Christian, whatever you want to call it. And so for me, there are sort of undeniable truths about morality and society, but I don't project those on our government. I think that's incredibly important to make clear because 
what has happened to our Republican Party is that they have taken a religious stance and they have interjected it into a governmental structure. And I'm not saying that our government wasn't founded by Christians. It absolutely was. And there's an inherent morality in the Constitution and an inherent morality in the documents that they wrote and in how they founded our government. But I don't, I don't necessarily think that those morals should be enacted in government on a daily basis specifically. You know, they're inherent in the document already. Rights from God pre-exist the Constitution. Exactly right. And, and I think that, you know, I'm not religious at all. But I am not an atheist, meaning I don't just, I, I, atheists say there is no God. I am a completely agnostic, which is sort of the I don't know gospel. I just don't know. And it's not a part of my life. It's not something that holds any weight in my life. But I do believe in God-given rights. I do. And it's not necessarily God that's giving them for me. It's just inalienable. That's the descriptor for you. Exactly. The, the descriptor is rights that we all have, like, to me, like air, breathing air is a God-given right. You know what I mean? Like making, making free choice is a God-given right. You know, and that's why our constitution is so brilliant. That's what is so brilliant about America is that it was the first uh, form of government that did put all those freedoms in the hands of its citizens, which hadn't happened before. My difficulty in coming to the, the, the current state of affairs is that I do consider myself a Republican, but I do not consider myself a Tea Party Republican. And where, where do those people sit? You know, I've yet to meet another Republican that hasn't been forced all the way to the right. Well, and you have another dilemma in the fact that you were, you were spending some time talking about uh, how the Republican Party has become so socially conservative, but then they elected Trump, a three times married clearly not Christian person who Absolutely. is a complete tourist in every way. And everyone knows that. And that hypocrisy, I know, because we've had conversations about it before, irks you. 100%. And while I may be very happy with some of the policies that the Trump administration has enacted, yeah, he is a, a reprehensible human being. And I do not like him at all, as opposed to Obama, where I did not enjoy his political agenda or his policies but good god what a what a human being exactly you know what i mean and so that that uh you know the the difference between those two is if i could just combine them yeah <laughs> it'd be fantastic and, and we don't you know we're gonna have plenty of time in on pot on future podcasts to get into trump but uh and so we don't need to this doesn't need to be a trump episode but you know trump i see trump as being the first truly uh unideological president in history. You know, he uh, he doesn't have any ideology. Uh, people who claim him as a conservative or a religious conservative for Christ's sake. Um uh, yeah, it's it's out of control. But getting back to uh to labels, what I I don't call myself a libertarian, but what I do call myself is a liberal against leftism. And there is a huge distinction there that I think a lot of people, that's one of the things I want to talk about in this podcast, because I think a lot of people don't understand that there is a big difference between liberalism and leftism. Well, most people don't understand when that switch happened, when the Democratic Party was very much like the, the Republican Party hijacked 
by a political agenda that, you know, Bernie Sanders and, you know, some members of Congress, they're really pushing the party to the left. That's and it becomes socialism at a certain point. And I don't know that everyone saw that switch. Yeah, I mean, I think there's more to leftism than just uh, socialism. You know, obviously socialism, I I think socialism is a deeply evil ideology. I I truly do. for a, a ton of reasons, but I think leftism is also has also become about uh, not accepting anyone else's ideas, um, throwing a tantrum when you don't like somebody else's ideas. This oversensitivity of needing safe spaces when you have baby ears and you can't hear opinions that you know might not jive with your opinions or jokes. I mean, it's it's affected the the comedy industry. It's affected so much. Leftism has the the crazy thing about it is that leftism has infiltrated a lot of our society and made it really hard for comedians, for artists in general, for for you know anyone to just say something that's even a uh, slightly less than politically correct. It's under the guise of being woke, which, by the way, is a word that is associated with being cool. I mean, it's it's like, you know, you talk about like a Katy Perry or someone who who leans on that and brings it to culture as something to desire to be. But really what it is, is there's liberalism in it and there's an agenda to it. You know, it's this idea that this is sort of uh, where the cool kids are. And I just don't think that's actually true. I think if you sit down with people and press them on what they actually believe, most people believe in free speech. And that's an important point, Jay, that we should talk about, is that there is a segment of the the right wing that is blatantly racist. There (laughs) There is no white supremacist group in the country that didn't endorse Donald Trump. Okay. There's no white supremacist groups that are like Gavin Newsom. Yeah. You know, just that doesn't exist, but that makes up a very, very small percentage of the party. Just like I believe the crazy sort of screaming at the sky, snowflake leftists make up a very small percentage of the democratic party. It, it, it's the fringes that the media exploit. That, but you're, that you're hearing them get the loudest megaphone. Of course. It's the greatest television. It's the best news. It's, it's going to be, the, it's going to carry the most ratings when you have, you know, f- people on either side uh, of that aisle who are socially like on the fringe of course well think about just our friends just the the friends that we have together we almost all of them identify as liberals or progressives right not one of them we are brutal to each other like we tell jokes we are not pc at all we're not politically correct at all we maybe it's a different generation but our like my father is a liberal democrat who is certainly not politically correct you know you can have someone who is on the on the left and be you know be politically incorrect i don't think that 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 was never a problem before now right agreed in terms of labels i call myself a liberal against leftism and i do call myself a progressive capitalist which is something we could get into later (laughs) it's interesting and it's always been interesting to me since we've started engaging in politics that you exist on this plane where where um and it's brave in a way because there's not a lot of people that I see like you who are at least speaking out. Right. Yeah, there isn't. It's the, the there's, uh, they call them the, the inter- intellectual dark web. There's like a whole bunch of, uh, of sort of underground podcasters that are in this space, but they don't get a lot of attention. And, you know, a lot of people on the left and the right pan them for various reasons. So. 
Sure. And I feel like, you know, I'm sort of in a similar predicament where I'm definitely not a Tea Party Republican. I know we don't use that word anymore because it's basically the Republican Party. Well, the Tea Party also, like, when they became Trumpers, they totally just destroyed themselves. Well, it tore it tore apart the entire party, and and the party was like it was drifting apart before that. But you know, I saw it in Los Angeles in certain circles, and we'll get into that another time. Uh, places that I uh, you know frequented as a Republican, and it it tore those people apart because half wanted to you know lift Trump up on a pedestal, and the other half saw him for what he was, and it was a mess. Yeah, yeah, completely. But but even beyond that. Uh what Trump has done with the deficit goes against everything the Tea Party supposedly stood for. Um, and there's, there's, there has been a bunch of uh, policy decisions that the Trump administration has made that do not uh, sit well with what the original intention of the Tea Party was. So. No, and, and here's the bottom line is that Trump is an opportunist. He's a populist and he loves Donald Trump more than anyone loves Donald Trump. Back to your point earlier about, you know, white supremacists and people that love him and that he gives credence to, it's because they love him. He doesn't care what you are, who you are. If you like him, he likes you too. And that's what ma- it's part of what makes him so dangerous. I always say it explains why he was a Democrat for his entire life because he was in New York where everyone's a Democrat (laughs) and it was politically expedient for him to be a Democrat at that point in time um, because he had to fit in with everyone else. He didn't become a Republican again until it was politically expedient for him to to do so. He doesn't have any ideology. I I agree, which is why I would love for Mike Pence to be our president, but that's a conversation for another day. Exactly. That that is a a whole other conversation. I'm not not a huge Pence fan either, but anything's better than Trump. But, you know, that's just my opinion. I mean, I like Pence and not to get too far into it, but at least he at least he can back up what he stands for. Like he's a true conservative. He's a true conservative. He is who he is. He's a social conservative. Uh, I don't I don't agree with a lot of his viewpoints on that stuff. Um, And mostly he sullied himself so much with the way he deals with Trump and the way he talks about Trump that I have a bad taste in my mouth. No, I'm I'm with that. But but his voting record and the things that he stands for are the things that he's always stood for. Well, that's the funniest part, isn't it? Is that if if the Republicans had just gone along with the impeachment thing, they could have gotten the guy they actually really want, which is yeah, Pence. I, mean, I know, you they're, know, they're too scared of Trump. Of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, who knows at this point if they actually do really want that. That's, you know, this, and take note of this. This is a podcast for another day, the future of the Republican Party, because it's it's very much up in the air. I would agree with that. We should, you know, probably talk a little bit about us personally, just a little. So I'm married, I got two kids. Uh, they are insane. Uh, yeah, they're insane. They're six and seven and a half. My son actually turns six next Wednesday. And I, I will say, you know, to bring things back to the, the crux of this podcast, having kids has made me inherently more conservative about a lot of things that I, uh, eight years ago, before I had kids, I had vastly different opinions on a lot of stuff than I do now. And there's something about being a parent that does sort of naturally shift you in, in, in another, it, it, you know, more right, more conservative. I think, you know, I, I think even the way my parents are, my parents have become 
super liberal. I mean, like crazy, crazy liberal. But they also don't have jobs anymore. Oh, my mom still works, but my dad is retired. I think when you're retired and you're collecting social security, and especially in the Trump era, there it's much easier to be a crazy liberal. What about you? Tell me about yourself. You know, I come from, as I said, a, a very conservative family. I would say they they still remain that way. You know, my father is still involved in, you know, not necessarily the administration, but he's involved in politics still. Um, he still deals with the government a great deal. I'm uh, married. My wife is is ultra conservative, I would say, even more than I am. Um, not that we don't stand for the same ideals. Even more, I would say very much more. But <laughs> I, I mean, I would say our ideologies are the same. I think how we envision those being enacted, that's where the differences lie. And they, it creates great conversation, um, especially um, at the dinner table and uh, beyond. You guys have, have it out on Facebook regularly, which is always better, very entertaining. Yeah, you know, it actually, uh, the best is when it spills over from Facebook onto text message. Like you know, we were Facebooking until eventually the, 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 the thread got so long and the argument got so ridiculous that it was just like, let's take this to the phone. But you know, you guys are respectful and I think you appreciate the discourse because it's so hard to have proper discourse with someone on the opposite side without like freaking out and wanting to kill each other is not easy to do. Yeah. I, again, I think it, it, like I said in the beginning of this thing, it comes down to whether or not you believe your opponent. And when I say opponent, I mean someone you're having a political debate with is has bad intentions. And if you're all friends and if you know that, you know, I even think as evil as I think socialism is, I think you could take two people like you could take someone like Bernie Sanders and you could take somebody like Ted Cruz, you know, two people on very opposite and polar opposite ends of the spectrum. And I could still think you could say generally that both of these people want the same thing. They want the same result. They just have they neither of them are bad people. They just have vastly different opinions on the route to get to that thing. Yeah, different ideologies, different value systems, and and a different a different view of what America should be to the same end. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, we, we, too too often we attack people, especially in the Trump era, we attack people as being bad or evil or corrupt. I mean, you're seeing it right now with uh, the attacks on the on Obama, you know, and all the political stuff that's happening with him. Uh, you know, there's always this sort of Fox News, uh, you know, echo chamber that's that's trying to make Obama and Biden evil rather than just two people I don't agree with. You know what I mean? And, and that happens on the left as well. I don't want to just say that's a right wing phenomenon. It happens on both sides and it's ugly and it needs to stop. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I think, you know, what's going to make this even more interesting is as ultra conservative as, as my wife Tiffany is, her family is even more so. And they're, they're, they're in Arizona, they're under the Trump spell, um, and they, they just love the guy. He could do no wrong. And so that's, you know, we'll, we can explore that opinion and that viewpoint because I'm very close to it. So, you know, we'll, we'll sort of cover all our bases here and it'll be really interesting. She'll be on the show. Oh, that's that's going to be a fight. That we're going to need like eight hours for that one. I know, yeah. <laughs> unedited. Yeah, I should also say my wife is an incredibly great person uh, who is completely uninvolved, unopinionated, on any uninterested on 
anything to do with with politics whatsoever. Well, we should we should bring her on too because that could be really funny as well. Well, it's funny because sometimes she doesn't even know I'm doing it. I do it in a very subtle way. Sometimes I'll sort of press her on something to see because she thinks she's a liberal. And, and and this is something I did want to mention when I was talking about how musicians and artists people tend to think they're Democrats when they're probably not. My wife, because she grew up in New York probably, and she I think comes from a pretty liberal family, she thinks she's very liberal, you know, but she doesn't really, I, I mean, I think what she thinks that means is that you're for social justice. You know what I mean? And Every once in a while, I'll press her on something and be like, do you believe that the government should be able to do X, Y, or Z? And she's a business owner. So it's usually in regard to what the government can do to her business or the money that they could take from her business. And she'll usually be like, no, that's complete BS. I'm like, oh, okay. So you're conservative on that. She'll be like, no, I'm not conservative. Oh, but you're conservative on that, right? So we, we get into sort of subtle arguments like that where I'll get her to agree that she doesn't necessarily toe the party line of 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 the crazy leftist liberals. So in terms of format, you know, I think what you can expect from this podcast is not going to always be as uh, off the cuff as as this was in terms of format. It's going to be more segmented and more organized. You know, we would just wanted you guys to get a viewpoint of you know where we come from and our relationship and 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 that moving forward, so you can have that understanding. For the next podcast, we'll get into format. It'll be. Um, topics of the day. It'll be interviews. And we're going to have some great guests on here. We'll have guests from the entertainment sphere, since that's the world we come from, both of us. And we'll have guests from the political sphere and people who, you know, are sort of the every person. You know, I think those opinions are more important than the people who, you know, are in this every day. I think those opinions are important. Of course. And we will accept everyone's opinion on this show, no matter right, left, or center, no matter where you come from. Uh, but the rule is that if you are brave enough to put your opinions out there, then you have to be brave enough to be challenged as well. That's great. That's a great yeah. rule. And, and absolutely. I, you know, this is a show of discourse. It's a show of respect. And we don't want anyone threatening. We don't want anyone going overboard. It's everyone's going to respect each other's opinions. We all know we mean well. And, you know, I think it's a good place to come from. Right. And there's going to be more beer next time. <laughs> a, lot, a lot more. <laughs> a lot more beer. <laughs> a lot more beer. Uh, lot more you know beer. what? I think we just found the name of the podcast. The first episode, episode one. one a, a lot, lot more beer. More beer. Yeah. All right. Done. <laughs> That's it. It's done. It's it. <laughs> we haven't even gotten to COVID. Can you believe that? Uh, we like mentioned COVID once, like the biggest thing ever in the history of civilization. I know. But we'll get into that. freaking crazy. I mean, the, the crazy thing is that we could have episode after episode of just this topic. Right, our podcast we, exists about it. You know, I mean, right. how many popped up in the last couple of weeks? I know, well, it's funny because so we'll we'll spill the beans just a little bit here. We wrote like sort of an outline for this podcast and uh we had planned on talking about the politicization politicization of COVID. Yeah. And we never even got there because it just doesn't even seem appropriate at this point. Like, no, I think I think I like this this episode standing as it is. And we'll get into the political topics in the next episode and we'll start getting to the meat. You know, we'll we'll start we'll start working through these issues. Yeah, we love meat, but we gotta watch our cholesterol too. You know what goes well with meat. A lot more beer. Goju Jang. A lot more beer and Goju Jang. 
All right, everyone. Well, this was fun. It's been an hour, hour, five minutes, and uh, I feel like we've gotten some good introductions. You know what to expect from this podcast, and uh, we're looking forward to it. We'll see you next time. I'm Justin. I'm Riz. Adios.